Welcome to the Galen Trombley Show. You can find me on Facebook at Galen Trombley, on Instagram at Galen Trombley, and on YouTube at Galen Trombley. Spelling G-A-E-L-A-N-T-R-O-M-B-L-E-Y. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Galen Trombley Show. Welcome to episode 74 of the Galen Trombley Show. I have Chris uh, Chris Verkey here. Um, is your real name Chris, Christopher? Christopher, yeah. Okay, we'll call, we'll, we'll call but, him Chris. Yep. Chris Verkey. Um, he is locally born, raised, um, still lives locally in the area, um, teaches locally in the area. And I kind of was telling him before, I just like bringing on people that I think are interesting or I like talking to. And um, so we're going to kind of deep dive into a few things here. Obviously, your background, where you, what you do now, and then... We kind of just roll into like just hobbies and fun stuff. So, um, so first off, Chris, for people that don't know you, kind of give them a background. Where you came from? How did you get to 2020, Chris Verkey? All right. Um, I was born in 1978, May 20th, um, in Plattsburgh, New York. I spent most of my life in Plattsburgh. Um, I had a small stint where I lived in central New York when I went to Cortland uh, for college. And, um, yeah, that's, that's about my, uh, it for, for where I've been living. Um, sorry. What, what else was after that? So, <laughs> so no, that's fine. So like, where'd you go to school? Like high school? Okay. Um, I started in, I went to St. John's elementary school all the way through middle school. And then I went to Seton Catholic, graduated in 1996. And after that, I went to SUNY Plattsburgh for four years where I call that my track and field degree. Um, not really <laughs> the direction I wanted to go with my uh, professional life. Um, so I decided after Plastic State that I would go to Cortland and that's where I got my phys ed degree. And uh, after that, I did my master's degree online through Cortland as well. And you are, you've, well, I guess now you work at Saranac, yep. the high school phys ed teacher. And then prior to that, did you work at, you worked at another school, right? Or no? No, I, uh, I student taught at, um, Beekman town high school and I student taught at Bailey Avenue elementary school and Momont elementary school. So I had all kinds of different experiences, student teaching, and as you can see, elementary school, high school. And then my first position was at Saranac middle school. So literally have taught K through 12 at so, this point in time, which is, I, I think would be a good, uh, it kind of gives you a variety of stuff. Do you like the high school better than you do younger kids? Uh, I think they all have their pros and cons, you <laughs> yeah. know, um, right now I'm in the high school. Um, I love, I do love, um, with the high school kids. Um, it's, I think I can kind of relate better mm-hmm. to the high school age students. Um, I love, 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 love the energy from the lower levels, you know, the, the K five and then the middle school kids, um, they just bring so much passion and so much energy to phys ed class every single day. Um, when you get to high school, the motivation factor becomes, you know, a little bit more important to, uh, to your job. So, well, I, th- I think by the time you get to high school too, at least when I was in school, you had the kids like me that played sports. So like Jim was like the one you look forward to because I'm good. I could just go out and like play whatever. And then you had kids that all they wanted to do was walk around the hallways because they just re- really weren't in the athletic type. Um, so I guess finding a big, because again, I went to Shazy, small school, Saranac. I'm assuming probably two to three times the size of Shazy. Yeah, I think we have about 400 students in our enrollment. So, so in graduating class, probably a little over 100 students, maybe? Some, yeah, somewhere around there. Yeah. Okay, so you're at least double the maybe two and a half yeah. times. Um, so, okay, so the phys ed part. Now, go back to the reason I think we actually brought this up, number one, is I saw you in the paper the other day, throwback. Because <laughs> now it's funny because the paper does nothing. We have no sports to actually um, look at. So for some reason, we don't get the paper. Someone, I don't know if they threw the paper down because you were in it, but I saw it at our house and I walked by and it was – 
basically an outstretched tackle. Did you see the, you saw oh, this, yes, right? You yes, saw the article. Yeah. <laughs> and I was looking at it. I, would, I didn't even think twice about it. I just look, cause you can't tell who the hell it is. It's football helmet on it. So yeah. I look at it and it's like Seton Catholic's Chris Verkey. You look at the year and what I, I don't think people realize is you look, I think you look younger than you actually are. You said you're 42. Yeah. Yeah. So when you say you graduated in 96, like I, that was my first year of kindergarten. So oh, to put boy. it in perspective, but <laughs> I don't want to make you feel old, but it's, uh, it's just funny when you look, I never thought you were, you know, you'd, I thought you were like, I would have guessed more around Gina's age, my wife, which she was 2002, but, um, so the tackle, you're kind of outstretched. And I just thought it was funny. You see Chris Verke's yeah. like throwback for whatever, how many years ago that was, but yeah, that, that was an interesting game against Peru. Um, uh, they were an absolute powerhouse that back then. And, uh, that was all I could do was to push him out of bounds, uh, <laughs> was to get, to get there. That was that outstretched picture. Yep. So were you a safety? Uh, yeah, I played defensive back. Yep. Safety corner on defense and then wide receiver on offense. Um, and, and the thing was back, Seton's a little different now. Cause back when you were in school, like Seton was a powerhouse school and just all I, from my memory, again, I graduated, um, you know, later on, but Seton, when I was a kid watching a lot of sports, like Seton was one of the premier schools in the area. Now, obviously enrollment's gone down for other reasons, but um, I mean, how was your, the Seton days that you remember? Cause you were kind of right in the thick of it. Yeah, absolutely. We, uh, were very strong. Um, back then, you know, we kind of used Seton as, um, both obviously for the, the Catholic education. Um, mm-hmm. but at the same time, sports was very, very good at Seton because kids from all districts would come to mm-hmm. Seton, you know, um, you just pay the tuition and you can kind of build really good sports programs because, you know, we had kids from Osable, we had kids from Saranac, we had kids from Plattsburgh, Beekmantown, Peru, you know, all the neighboring schools. Um, you know, we didn't win everything by any means, but we were good. You know, we were in the mix in, in a lot of sports. Cause so. I know they were good at hockey for a while. Yeah. And then I say basketball, but it was before my time, but I know the convert or Larry's still involved. Actually, yep. there was a good article about him and his son the other Definitely. day. Um, but they, they've been doing it for, I mean, Larry's been doing it for like 30, 40 years now. And then obviously Gina, I know from soccer days, they had a couple of good seasons, but I guess the, the cool thing is when you start bringing in different people from different, I guess, schools or whatever, and they start playing. The one cool thing about it is like Gina's best friends all grew up in different spots. So she's got a good core group of girls that somewhere in the city, somewhere in um, Morrisonville. And it's, of course I went to Shazie. So everybody was like in the small little web. So you guys know, as you start spreading out, I find that, she knows a ton of people all over the place and she go, I went to high school with them and they're like, they're from West Shay Z or they're yeah. from, you know, Peru. Um, so I guess that's kind of a benefit is you guys did kind of have a melting pot of people up locally yep. and you guys weren't just like one little town that all went to the same school. So, yeah. uh, now, so I guess I, kind of jumping into this, I have some stats here cause you're probably gonna be too modest to say any of this stuff. <laughs> oh boy. Um, and I, and I don't know if these are all true. I hope they're true because they're on your uh, profile, but not yours, Plastic States. Okay. Three-time All-American athlete for the Cardinal men's track and field team. Um, you raced the All-American or all, raced All-American or got to All-American accolades in two events. So you finished fifth in the 110 meters high hurdles, and then the sixth in the 100 meter intermediate hurdles, which I'm assuming is probably a little bit lower. Yep. Okay. And then um, you were named the Plastic State Senior Achievement Award in 2001. And you also made it two, two trips to the NCAA championships. Um, you, don't you have a national championship record time that still stands? Uh, Has it been yeah. broken? The, I, I won a national championship in 98. Um, I'll kind of s- spin off some of that stuff here. Yeah. Um, so I was All-American in 2000 in two events. So at the same national championships, I was the only hurdler in the country to be All-American in both, both races. Um, 98, I did win the 400 hurdle national title at the time I did set the stadium record for, um, McAllister college out in Minnesota. Um, 99 was kind of like a down year. Um, I got sick during outdoors and, um, missed probably three weeks of training. Yeah. Um, got mono bad, 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 bad. Set me back, you know, pretty significantly where I couldn't compete at the level that I was. Uh, and then in 2000, I kind of reestablished, um, and I wanted to focus more on the shorter hurdles. So indoors, um, I was seated third in the nation in the 55 hurdles, ended up hitting the first hurdle in semis and not making the finals. So in essence, I flew to Chicago for uh, seven seconds and, uh, and that was that, but, uh, yep, I made, um, six national appearances, 
Um, three of them I left with all Americans. Um, I guess. And you said that you almost, it, you tried to qualify for the Olympics. Yeah. And how close were you to that? I was pretty close. I'm at the time, I think it could be off, but I think 50.82 was the standard for Olympic trials. And I ran 51.37. So I was pretty Milliseconds yeah, pretty much. It was pretty close in 98, um, to hit that standard. And how old uh, would you been at that time? I believe... 19, 20? 20. Yep, 98. So you were pretty, be, pretty darn young yep. to be on the team. That was yep. that would have been for, what, Cindy? 2000? So, yep. Um, yeah, because we had talked... I know we had talked before, but... Like, track and field, I've never run track and field. I know a little bit about some stuff from watching it, but I'm purely the guy that watches it during the Olympics. Like yep. I'm like everybody else, yeah. like every four years I get into swimming and I get <laughs> yep. into track and field. Cause it's like the two of my, my favorite things of the, of the Olympiads or whatever. But, um, I mean, what, what's it go into? Because it, you take again, hurdles, you're talking 400 meters, you're talking less than a minute for the most part. Yep. And you're talking those short, short distances where seven seconds, um, did you do any of the, like you said the one ten hurdles? Yeah, one ten hurdles outdoors. Yeah, so I mean that's under fifteen seconds, yeah, right? I mean fourteen forty three. So when you t- when you take those, like what the preparation, like what's the mindset and the preparation? Because now you coach track and field, and you've sure. and we'll go into that because you've had a lot of success with that. But the idea of like what, what's the mindset of going into a race that only lasts fifteen seconds or a minute versus maybe a game that lasts again? I played a lot of soccer growing up. We have eighty minutes on the field, so it's yep. not there's more room for error because you have time to make up track and field. You don't, like you said, one clip, you're done. Yep. Um, and both of those events that I trained for are completely different. You know, the one ten hurdles, you don't usually have guys at high levels do both because the training is so different. Um, the one ten hurdles are 42 inches high. So pretty significant. So usually, you know, your guys that are going to be at the higher levels are all going to be in that six, three, you know, somewhere, in that range, um, just because of your stride length and your frequency and it's all short speed and burst, you know, you're trying to train, you know, that, that a lactic type system and, you know, the, the short bursts where, you know, the more creatine and, you know, under 10 seconds really is, is kind of the, the speed stuff you're going to train for. And then mostly technique work. You know, so because again, like again, on the hurdles, because again, you see them jump and there's a pause because obviously you had the land, and then like you said, this quick how, how far are the gates apart from each other? Uh, in the or, or hurdles, I should yeah, say, in the oh, man, you're quizzing me here. I can't remember exactly the sh- for the 110 hurdles. There's 10 hurdles, um, I can't remember the exact distance between well, them, so about but, every 11 meters, roughly, yeah, maybe so a little more because there's you have to start, yeah, the start and the finish, the finish is a little bit longer off of the last hurdle yeah so, okay but so but but usually you probably only have what maybe two steps or so before you're jumping three again. steps yep right. that's, i was gonna say yep. you, yeah yeah <laughs> that's that's the goal you know um some of your introductory hurdlers are probably going to take four or five okay um, are they different distance apart too in the inter- intermediate no oh yeah sorry intermediate hurdles yes there's 10 hurdles and they're very vastly different because you're doing 400 meters so they're oh. spaced out around the track. Oh, so when you say, so, okay, so this is this is my knowledge. So the yep. high hurdles is just a 110-meter race, and then the intermediate, yep. they stretch out to the 400. 400, so you completely different training. So gotcha. now you have to be able to sprint a full lap, get your footwork down to be able to hit each of those hurdles in stride of the 10 hurdles all the way around the so track. So when you're running a 400-meter hurdle, do you have in your head, you like you get, jump, jump, a hurdle do you have in your head already the strides amount you want to hit to the next yes. i'm assuming you do because yeah. <laughs> it's different than just a 400 where you can just kind of run yep um for me uh at my peak i was trying to 13 step as long as i could um wow from you know hurdle one through seven is usually where i could do that too and then i kind of hung on to whatever i had left usually it was 15 to the last three so, and again, when you're watching, you have a much more trained eye than the, the average person. So when you watch like the Olympic trials or, or the Olympics, like when you, when you find, you find little nuances within the race that impresses you that me, I'm like, oh, they didn't hit any of the hurdles or yeah. they got a fast time where you're looking at like, oh my God, that guy did it in 11 strides or 12 strides or 13. I'm assuming they're probably not less than 13. Most, sure. most of your high level guys can 13 the whole race. Yeah. So is, that's the impressive part. Yes, absolutely. Cause you're, cause you're what height wise? I'm six, three. Yep. And your stride length obviously is 
like me, I'm yep. not running the high hurdles at the 110 mark. I can barely jump over those, let alone stride over them. Yep. So, um, so when you find that, what was the most challenging, I guess, aspect of any of that training? 400 hurdle training was absolutely insanely difficult. Um, just because in, in that event, in order for you to get better, you have to push your body past where you are. You know, you have to get out of your comfort zone and, uh, it's not the most comfortable thing really to, (laughs) to be able to push yourself. And, you know, when I say that push yourself past what you can do, you know, when we're doing repeats of, you know, 400 meters with, you know, under five minutes recovery or something like that. And, you know, it's, you're pushing everything you can. And by the time you're done, you know, everything hurts. (laughs) So, and well, I guess that's the, the, cause we had, we had talked about like working out prior, you know, we were talking mm-hmm. about that earlier. Like when you, when you have a certain amount of, uh, again, we talk like long duration running, you know, marathons or whatever, sure. obviously there's different, you know, you can even just tell physically by the two, like a runner versus a sprinter or a marathon guy, but the longer distance trains a totally different, um, adaptation to at least fit physicality of, of, you know, your output, energy output. So you guys are doing it in a very short amount of time. So the effort is, I would say almost maximal effort or you know yep. as 100 percent as you can go um and obviously like you said towards the end trying to keep it as close to 100 percent. so when you're trying because again you now you coach at, at uh saranac and you guys have been very successful and i was kind of looking you had a, ki- a kid that won the state championship right this past year yep last year um and he, what was he, he in the hurdles yes yep was he the 110 uh he actually here's a good one so he won the state championship in the 400 hurdles last year um and his 110 hurdle time was, you know, incredible. Um, he ran New York number four all time um, for wow. Division two schools. Wow. But he didn't win the state championship last year. So a so guy got third in the state the, or whatever. The kid that won states last year was New York number one all time. Oh. It was the fastest race ever run by a Division two athlete in history. Um, and Cameron was, was uh, speaking with uh, Albany last year um, and, you know, that's where he wanted to go and you know his we were thinking you know 400 hurdles 400 hurdles 400 hurdles and then he popped out uh, a 14.12 at, at the state championships and that's what really got everybody's attention on the 110 and, yeah and that was actually what he got second in but most people that don't know you know they think oh you know he won the state championship but that race he so had he, oh so he won the states in the 400 he won states in the 400 hurdles but that race in the 110s was was very was more impressive. Was probably more impressive than winning the state. And he got champion. second time so, wise. So yeah. where was the first so, kid from? Like uh, he was from a school called Mount Sinai, a private school. Okay, I believe it's a private school. And he was just, um, I mean, obviously he was, a gifted runner. Yeah, absolutely gifted athlete. Uh, he was one of the best long jumpers in the nation as well. So he this was, kid's like obviously got a bright future. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. So um, same, are they both seniors or were they? Seniors? They were both seniors. Yep. So, so. you kind of you kind of look at that is now having now switched from the coaching or from the actual having done it, obviously you have a good knowledge base and how it feels. Cause you relate to the kids when they're yep. you know, crawling across the line. Like <laughs> if you flip flop it, like what is, um, cause again, I'll go into the other aspect of it. You're also inducted into the hall of fame too. I should mention that at platform state, <laughs> um, nine season. Well, this is, I mean, this is all old stuff nine season. You've been doing it longer than that, but, yep. um, back to back state championships and state champions in the 400 hurdles. And then that was at Beekman town. Yep. Um, but, so basically, in regards to Saranac, I don't know how many championships or Section Seven stuff. I, when I think track and field, and I think everything, I my, kind of like again, we played soccer. You think soccer up here a lot of times. You think Shazy. I think track and field. I do think Saranac, and I think a lot of it has to do with you guys coming on. I know from the the distance running too, they do pretty well because I, I think uh, Matt still is involved in that. So I mean, it, but they're two separate sports. Um, and the, are you guys still considered one or two separate? Um, cross country is in the fall. Um, if that's what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cross country is in the fall. It's a completely separate sport. Um, I yep. figured it'd be. And then indoor track starts in November, ends in March. And then uh, outdoor track starts in March and ends in June. So it's three separate seasons. Yep. So, so when you when you start doing the track and field, like what what's, how have you been able to relate what you've done into that? And how do you, how does like a normal day work for track and field kids? Like when they're we're trying to practice or running repeats or doing, you know, tra- are, how much are they at maximum capacity? How much do they kind of do? lighter maybe skill-based stuff yeah um it becomes like a 
I mean, you, you know, you've, you do a CrossFit, so you, you probably, and like you said, you have a home gym now, so you probably plan some of your own, own things. Um, I like to take things and kind of plan backwards. So I know the state championships, I, I guess we'll use outdoor as an example. I know the state championships will be usually the second week of June. So I'll kind of start my planning from there and backtrack all the way to my first day of practice. And then, you know, it's like a block planning. So I'll kind of look at it as a month and a month and then, you know, keep going backwards until I get like little two week micro cycles. And then, you know, kind of, I really approach every week, um, differently, you know, depending on how my athletes are acclimating to the work, Mm -hmm. you know, um, you're not just going to do the same thing regardless, you know, if your athletes are, are really sore or if, you know, anything like that. So, um, we'll say like week one, day one is kind of general, you know, we, we start off with some general strength and conditioning and then work into more specific things as the season progresses and track and field is a little different too, because you have so many athletes doing so many different events that Mm -hmm. all need specific things. So we are at the luxury of having four different coaches. So we have a, a throws coach, we'll have a distance coach, uh, we'll have a jumps coach. And then, um, I specialize in like sprints and hurdles mm-hmm. and, uh, I can kind of push into the jumping as well if need be. But, um, but yeah, we just kind of approach things, you know, from a big perspective and then kind of break it down into small things as we go. So are you kind of, could you, could you relate it to maybe like an NFL system or like a football system where you're the head coach, but then you have offensive coordinator and then you kind of delegate to them knowing that their skill set being again on the throwing because you think of the javelin the shot put you guys still compete in all that discus yep discus and shot put is the only thing that's competed in like a dual meet setting Mm -hmm. but when we go to like invitationals out of town you'll see um, some javelin every now and then some hammer throw which is awesome too um but those are hammer throw the one it's like a sh- pretty much like a shot put attached to a long handle. Oh, that's right. Yeah, and they spin it. Yep, and they spin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's pretty a like, really cool event. Yeah. <laughs> um, for indoors, they've um, brought in the weight throw, which is kind of like the exact same thing as a hammer, except the bag is huge. It's twenty five pound bag, and it's got a handle attached to it. But the technique and everything to throw it is pretty much the same thing, except it's the indoor version. Gotcha. So instead of throwing 200 whatever feet outdoors, like they throw the hammer, they make the bag a lot heavier. Um, and you know, your best throwers will throw, you know, 60, 60 to 70 feet somewhere in there to kind of be able to fit it inside. So, so, so. when, when you're planning all this, do you, when you talk about like the cycles and the micro cycles, do you delegate out, um, you know, you, you, okay, we'll take, take the, the jump coach. Does he also help plan some of that? You know, because like within the cycles and you kind of just oversee it and kind of. Because mostly some of your guys that are jumpers are also sprinters. Okay. Or your jumpers are also sprints, hurdles, whatever, especially when you're in a smaller school where you don't have a hundred man roster where you can just be like, oh, well, you're just going to be a long jumper or you're just going to be a hundred meter runner, you know, because when you have a smaller school, you you need to have your athletes be able to do multiple events. Mm -hmm. Um, So we try to, you know, all of our coaches are always getting together and talking a lot, um, you know, to work with, especially on a daily basis, like maybe Monday, Wednesday, Friday, a certain athlete will be with me focusing on their speed. And then like Tuesdays, Thursdays, they'll be with a different coach focusing on their long or triple jump or. And and then when you talk about how many athletes you have that individually, they're all at different levels too. So it's kind of probably not like a, a full on, you probably have a lot of similarities in the program programming, but there's probably a lot of nuances where it's like this guy maybe struggles at the start. I don't know this. My knowledge is, pretty bad but like the starting gate or the, the when you first start off versus maybe the skill of jumping over maybe these guys you know so yep. do you also have to then take into account like weakness work i should say like, yeah along those lines too you're gonna have athletes that are in ninth grade you're gonna have athletes that are in 12th grade yeah you know so you can have a kid that is a you know aspiring state champion senior as opposed to somebody who's a ninth grader who has never hurdled in their life you know and you at the same time have a small two-hour block to work with the same, you know, those two athletes. So you're going to have to each practice, each rep, each, everything is going to have to be tailor fit to each athlete. So you have lots of challenges. So, you know. and, and again, not to, 
I, I'll do it because you're probably again. I think gonna be too humble to say this, but like if you're the, the coach, I would think would matter quite a bit in the track and field industry. Like if you have a coach that's knowledgeable and can basically juggle a lot of of balls in the air kind of thing, because you have a lot of people where. I coach soccer, I coach basketball. Yes, there's athletes that were better at certain things, but it's a team sport. So most of the time it was pretty much like we're doing these drills or this possession game or whatever where, again, being individual, it's like, hey, Tommy might be doing this and then you know Phil might be doing that. And then yep. um, so do you think that coaching, even though you're not physically – I mean, you are yelling out stuff on certain races, and, and um, I'll kind of go into that too. But like on a quick race that's 15 seconds, even if they wanted to hear you, they probably can't because they're so just like you know, laser yeah. focus. But so most of your work is done prior 100%, to the event. So yes. these, how much do you think the coaching goes into that? Everything in, in track and field, coaching wise, happens in practice. You know, um, your your track meets. There's not much. You know, there's very few things that that you can do to change what's going to happen you know, in that performance uh, on that meet day, you know, you're going to be there for mental stuff. You're going to be there to, you know, get your athlete prepared. You're going to, you know, make sure they're warming up and, and all this stuff, you know, just to get them as prepared as you possibly can for that individual race. But practice is where everything that's important is going to occur. Do, do you so. find, um, have you, have you probably over time just being in this, in the field too, but like how much does the mental aspect play into it for oh, you it's, guys? It's massive. It's so, so, so huge. Um, I'd say at least half of, of it is mental. Definitely. Cause I think in most sports you could, especially when you get up to the top level, when you talk about like state championship, like the kid, the Cameron kid who, who raced state championship and then got second, I'm sure physically, maybe not as fast as the kid that ran the all time best, but most of those kids are probably on par with within like half a second. That's the thing. When you get to such a high level and we're talking tenths and hundredths of a second difference, mm -hmm. you know? A small nuance in your warm-up, a small, very, you know, a half a step, you know, in your race. Like, so many factors can go into such a small margin. I mean, you know? and really, the race could be won or lost just at the starting gate. Sure. Like reaction time on the, on the gun. Um, yep. um, now, when you take that, I guess all those little things, like, when you focus on that, it's just a lot of it's repetition, repetition, repetition. So, it becomes muscle memory and, like, the starting gate reaction is there, again, how do you deal with that, with the timing? Because you see false starts, you see like weird things going on. Yep. One of the things that I think can help with that, um, which I tell my athletes to do is, you know, if you're not in one of those first couple races, go and just stand near the starter and just see if you can find consistency with his, you know, the amount of time he says set to go. So it, you can kind of, and that's not automatic. That's that's manual. Like I mean, that's human. I mean, yes, there's a there's a an actual human being shooting the gun. The timing system is fully automatic. Um, okay. If you're at big events, um, you'll see some meets. You know, you'll have parents or volunteers or whatnot using a stopwatch from when they you know either see the smoke come out of the gun or they hear the gun and they'll start their watch. But if you're at a bigger meet, they'll have an actual device hooked up to the starter's pistol. Mm -hmm. where when the person pulls the trigger, you'll have a sensor that senses the light um, in created by the um, blank. Mm -hmm. When the blank shoots, it'll, it'll create a little bit of a flash. That will start the timing system at the finish line. So it's very, very, very little human error involved. And I'm, I'm sure the, the timing system is an actual, like, physical line when they cross it that whole line is is uh there's the usually a two camera system mm -hmm. so it looks down at the finish line um and as the athletes get their torso across the line it'll take a snapshot picture um and then they'll go back to the computer screen and just look at wherever they crossed and so like you see the olympics like a slow motion yep now yep. In, in track and field it's the first it's once a body part crosses the line it's right? your torso Oh, it is your torso. Yes, so that's that why they always lean. That's why you're leaning and getting that, that chest. So the head doesn't count. It's head doesn't count. Yep. So I always, <laughs> I always thought like the first one that like dip their head in. Cause sometimes yeah. you see these guys like, um, they're like almost like not, not super crazy, but they're definitely pretty, uh, less vertical than they were during the run. Yeah. Um, so where is it on the torso? Like where, um, they, so yeah, it's like, so in your like midline, your so you're obviously your head is going to come forward first. Yep. Um, but it's where you're kind of like your midline crosses, which 
it's gotten because of social media and stuff it's gotten a lot of popularity but you'll see people like diving through now yeah to to try to you know leaving their feet to try to get that chest and it would know, be legitimate uh, right yep. so no, i mean it's kind of like sliding in the first base it's kind of like you don't do it but you can do it yep. if you wanted to yep. um so and then when, when you're going through um i guess the prep and stuff like that like what's again we talked about like what's the mental aspect of my race is only 15 seconds because i'm assuming different from a uh, i'll use soccer again or football like you have a lot of time the game you get a chance to get into a rhythm there you don't it's like you do your warm-ups or whatever gun goes off i gotta think that the the anxiety is at a very high level before a race meaning almost to the point where you're like you're puking before a race i don't know if you've ever you probably have done that <laughs> i have yes have. yeah some people you some kids, yourself up. Yeah, some kids have have that happened as well um but yeah, you really have to stay mentally focused. Your warm up is really important, you know. Um, especially if you're not one of those athletes that competes right when you get to the meet. Mm-hmm. Um, the one ten hurdles is is like the second event, so you kind of do start your prep early. Yeah. Um, and if it's a normal meet, like a like a dual meet setting, the kids that run the hurdles are probably going to run some other events later. So they'll get prepared. They'll get that race out of the way, and then they'll kind of have some downtime, and then. Again, warm up again. But they, they get to, they get kind of a yeah, flow. And yep, exactly. I think once you get past that first race, you kind of get it out of your system. You're like, okay, it's just kind of hang out and then I'll be prepared. Yep. And from a warm up perspective, how much time do you, you I, I just say this now because I, I'm feeling a lot more aches and pains now that as, as you, I'm yep. sure you can attest, like when you get out of bed, you don't get as bad as, <laughs> as, spr- as springy as we used to. Yes. Um, like the warm up routine, I mean, how much do you guys warm up prior to a race? Because again, you're talking a 15 second race might take half hour to warm up to at, at least. least a half an hour yeah. yeah um personally for me i would start like an hour before mm-hmm. and just start really general into specific so you know start with a 400 meter jog or an 800 meter jog just to get your you know to get the blood flowing and everything and then start with a little static stretch which you know some people believe is good some people believe you know don't believe yep. it's good yep but a little static stretch and then into kind of like a dynamic stretch of like more bigger type activities. Um, in our world, we call like a skips and B skips, which is yep. kind of like a simulation of a sprint mechanic, um, you know, into the butt kicks and into the straight leg shuffles and into the straight legs and the fast legs and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, kind of now you're really sweaty or you're starting to get sweaty pop the regular trainer shoes off, put the spikes on and then maybe start into like your hurdle drills again, you know, big to bigger kind of things where you'll just go over a hurdle with like one leg Mm -hmm. and then the other leg and then you'll put it together like swings into like both into the, like a more hurdle over type thing. And then you'll get into the blocks, you know? So it's like you're building up, all the way to the point where you need to get into the blocks and race. So, so do you guys have? I'm, I'm, I'm guessing you do. You have blocks in the training area, so kids oh, yeah. practice coming out of yep. them. And sure. Um, now, the, actually, I'll ask about the blocks again. Again, some of these questions are super elementary because new. But if do you, do, do you guys do a lot of like foam rolling and stuff before or after? We do. Yep. Um, we have at least one day uh, of practice where it's kind of like a recovery day. Mm-hmm. You know, where we're just going to come into practice. Usually it's after a big short speed session and then kind of like a speed endurance session. So those are two, you know, pretty intense days of our week. And then it'll probably be like a Wednesday. We'll come in and just do, you know, some really easy stuff followed by a foam roller session, followed by with like lacrosse balls as well. Yep. Just to kind of loosen up your plantar fascia and all the way from your feet all the way, you know, into your glutes. Well, it's it's amazing with the interconnection, like the bottom of your feet literally go all the way up the backside, the posterior, all the way up. To, I would assume it's somewhere into the lower back region. Yeah. Um, yeah. I definitely know like when I get lower back pain and stuff from whatever, most of it is if you can act or if you can loosen up the glutes with like a lacrosse ball, like yep. everything just like, like <laughs> loosens right up. And it's amazing how the body connects. Um, I think actually the next one coming on the podcast is John Mulholland. Oh, really? You, you must yep. know John, right? I know John well. Yep. Yeah. So John, um, I, I've been seeing him for like six years, just like for normal maintenance and, he's just a wealth of knowledge when it comes to just the body and the connective tissues. Um, so now when you were were doing, when you were running back in like the nineties, did you guys utilize that stuff as much as you do now? No, I probably wasn't even around really (laughs) just more knowledgeable now. Yeah, no, I, I really wish, uh, I had a lot of the knowledge I have today when I was an athlete. 
But was that even pre- like lacrosse balls and foam rolling? Was that even a big thing back in the nineties? I don't remember it being known yeah. at all. I mean, just as in general, like sport. I don't. I mean, everything evolves and it gets better and it gets more. Um, you know, like <coughs> excuse me, like things become easier to get. I guess equipment becomes easier to get as things like slowly become more mainstream within the sport. But yeah, science really affects sports. It, you know, it helps with everything. You know, both recovery, so like, nutrition. Um, the equipment you use. What's well, like the sports science stuff on ESPN? You ever watch those? Mm-hmm. Some of those things are actually like, I think they talked about one time hitting a golf ball because I like golf. Hitting a golf ball out of the rough at the U.S. Open, how thick it was, and how much velocity, like how much, I guess, angle and velocity you had to have to get the ball to spin. And then they talked about the World Cup distance from a uh, the reaction time a goalie has from a PK to to save it, and just everything that's in there where. It, it's pretty incredible, like the actual science of a sport, because a lot of it is physics. And yep. you, I mean, there's obviously a lot of just the natural just reaction, but there's there's a whole host of things like that. Yep, absolutely. Um, so what is again? La- last thing about running, we'll move on to maybe some more fun stuff for you. I, I like listening to this because I know you know a lot <laughs> about it. But um, the running techniques, like if you were to have somebody very very basic, we were to say, hey, sprint. 400 meters sprint 100 like what is like the very key points that you would say like again i'll transition to golf like you know you talk about golf like what's a couple basics it's like okay keep your feet at a good base you know have a good i would say like a tilt or spine angle like you don't want to be yep. super upright or down and then you know the the old thing keep your eye on the ball like keeping your head still so for for you for like running like what's com- like basic techniques that people don't know because I've run my whole life. I don't know anything about running. Yeah, that's that's a hard question to just answer. You know what I mean? Like really... Um, like dummy it down kind yeah. of? Yeah. <laughs> but I guess just um, trying to stay tall. Like your posture is really important. Mm-hmm. You know, like kind of like chest up, knees up, toes up. Um, those are some just key basic things. Um, your stride length and frequency are really important too. You know, so you're not either overstriding or understriding. But uh, yeah, each person is going to be different, though, you know. So and you really have to see the person to be able to. And you're running on your toes the entire time. Uh, like a heel toe. Uh, in in a sprint, you're on your toes for the most part. Yeah. But, uh, you know, distance running, you're going to be mostly like heel toe. Yep. And that's like a heel strike down to the toe press. Yep. Yep. Because I, I just again I know just nerding out on some of those I've heard of some of it, but you really can get into the the. the there's a lot of a lot of technique to running and people don't think about it. Mm-hmm. Even just people that run a lot, just go out and run. They don't really focus on the stride length and the steps and the sure. rhythm and the cadence and stuff. So, um, we'll go to some other stuff, get away from running because, cool. <laughs> um, I'm sure you're, you're now on summer vacation now. So we're not, <laughs> um, big thing in your world I know is you're a big football guy. What is, what do you think about the new acquisition of Cam Newton? Because you're a Patriots guy. Yes, through I am through. a Patriots guy. So first off, where'd you become a Patriots fan? And you weren't, I'm hoping, and I don't think you were, you weren't a bandwagon Patriot fan. So you're from the way back? 96 okay, is so when I first started to get into football. Like, So you're like Bledsoe area. A lot. Era Patriots. Um, I did like them when they went to the Super Bowl. That's kind of like when I first started following them when they lost to, uh, to Green Bay. And... Uh, was that ninety six? I think that was ninety six. It was a. It was it a. Could, Green Bay won it. I remember that. They might have played the Patriots. I think it was ninety. It was around ninety six. Is around when I first started to get into, to to like watching, you know, to football. So you never did when you were playing in high school. NBA was was NBA. Yeah, I love the NBA and I loved the Spurs back in the day. Okay, um, I was a David Robinson, yep. big David Robinson fan back in the early nineties. Um, after he left Navy and went to the Spurs, he was their their big pick. Um, that was kind of really when I started to get interested in the NBA as well. Tim Duncan's early years? Yes. He finally I, retired, right? I never, surprisingly, I wasn't a huge Bulls fan back in the day, as most kids. Did you watch the, document, the documentary? I only got to see about one episode, honestly. I got to okay. catch up. It's on my DVR. It's, it's good. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> it's on my DVR. It's well done. Yep. Um, okay, so the Patriots, so yep. 2096 when they lost. Yep. So this was pre Brady, I should say. Yes. Okay, yep. so you were a true, Brady. I'll so say a true I, fan then. I got to, I got to see. Bledsoe get knocked out of that second. I think it was the second game of the season by the in the the Jets game, and okay. Brady just trotted out in the field, and the rest is history, man. Yeah. You see that big 
I don't know. Most people aren't Pats fans. They're either haters or lovers. That's yep. it. There's no really in between. <laughs> I'm actually probably the only in between guy. Really? But I'll, well, we'll get it. Keep yeah, going. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. So I saw saw him. I saw Bledsoe get knocked out of the game, and and Brady came in, and we didn't know what to expect. And the regular season was, you know, it was a roller coaster, and they were kind of on the back of that really really good defense back what? in 2001 when they won their first one. That was Brady's first year. That was when he first started. The year they won the first Super Bowl was his first year as a starter? Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize yeah. that. I thought he yeah. had been there a couple of years. He was there as a backup. Um, he was drafted in 2000, I believe. Um, in Michigan. As a backup. And he was like their fourth quarterback. Um, so, yeah. So he won. I remember. One, was 199 overall. Yeah. Was two was 2001 the, t- the tuck rule game? Remember when they played um, the Raiders in the Snow Bowl there? I just remember watching that game clear as day, and they yeah. had the whole like passing. When they fumble it, was it a forward a, pass? I had a was funny it? story about the tuck rule. So I was watching back. Yeah, I was younger back then. Um, that game um, above my friend's apartment, and uh, he lived over on Brinkerhoff. And I'm, you know, I was a huge fan, and I was, I saw the play, and uh, you know, I, I thought it was a fumble. I'm not gonna lie, I thought it was a fumble. I got so mad that I stormed out of his apartment on Brinkerhoff and I walked down to Peabody's, <laughs> you know, that's, you know why you go to Peabody's. Yes, but, yep. um, so I walked into the bar and the game is on the TV and I was like, how is the game still on the TV? You know? And, and then obviously not knowing the tuck rule at, at the time. And then the rest is kind of history after that, because yeah. you just, you just thought the game was over at the point in time. And, Walked down. And I got there, and the game was still on. <laughs> and so I finished. I finished watching it there. But uh, yeah, it was it was wild. It was wild. So because that's when I, I I got in the football. The Pats, not the Pats. Sorry, the Packs. The Packers when they won in '96 was the first year I, I watched football in the Super. And I was a I'm a Giants fan. So I started. Okay. <laughs> Dad was a Giants fan. I was born. I, I mean, I've been literally watching the Giants since I was a kid. Got into them. Watched that. Then it was a couple years like John Elway with the Broncos. And then I've watched everyone since. So I remember the Patriots winning. I'm like, oh, cool, Patriots won. Like, not a big deal. Not realizing, like, what's going to happen over the next 15 years. And uh, the one thing that I like about the Patriots and why I say I like them, in 2007, the Giants have never won a Super Bowl. They did win in 90, so I think they won, like, a month after I was born. The 2007-2008 season, when they were going undefeated, I'm a Giants fan. Now, I was rooting hard for the Patriots all year because they're in different divisions. I could care less. I like, I love Belichick. I love Brady. I like people that are high achievers at whatever they do, and I'm not the kind... Like, I love LeBron James because I think he's like... He's obviously... Whatever reason you don't like... He's did whatever you need to do to get to that certain level. So, I was rooting for the Patriots. I'm like, they're undefeated. And trust me, when they played... It was like week 15, they played at the Meadowlands. Remember yeah, that game? Yeah, I think it was... Was it 15 or 16? It yep. was really late in the season. I think it was the last game of the regular season, actually. I think it yeah, was Yeah, and the Giants 16. played them the hardest game all year. And I remember they had a big, long pass to uh, Randy Moss at yep. the time. And I was... I was 100% rooting for the Giants at that point. And then when the Giants lost, then they got into the playoffs. I'm like, I hope the Patriots win. The Giants limped into the playoffs. Yeah. Never in my mind did I think they would play in the into the Super Bowl. <laughs> they got into the Super Bowl and it I wanted to, it was like I was actually pissed the Giants got in the Super Bowl because I'm like what the hell because I wanted the Patriots and I'm like I'm not going to root against the Giants in the Super Bowl yep. the reason being is I hate the 72 Dolphins because the only team that won and they they always run their mouths about how they're the only undefeated team which yes, they are yes. but they also barely won games where the Patriots were smacking teams that whole season they weren't even close half yep. the games were out of, out of by the halftime the game was over so I've always rooted for the Patriots. They've, I've really only not rooted for the Patriots twice in my life. Both Giants win, so we'll take that. Which now I look back at it, if Brady would have won those, he would have had what eight rings now. That was that. Yeah. Not to yep. mention the the was it the Philadelphia that beat them, which they could have won that yep. game. Yeah. That was misery. That was that was absolute misery when they lost that game when they were eighteen and zero. I uh, I went to the AFC Championship game when they beat oh, the really? Chargers to go to 18 and 0 because I wanted to obviously witness history and yeah. I won't tell you how much I paid to go to that game right That's now. Right. That's all right. Uh, <laughs> I still remember it's probably a good game. Yeah, I um I I th- I want to say I went to a regular season game as well that year. I I usually get to at least one. Um but I wanted to make sure I got to the AFC Championship game cool. and 
got on eBay earlier in the week and and uh, made it happen. And then for them to lose in the Super Bowl was just, oh, man. Not to mention every single student at school knows you know yes. my Patriot fandom. So I got to be berated the entire week following after they lost to the Giants after going, you know, 18-0. And well, I think, I think my, my – the only reason I, I've never watched a football game with you, the reason is everybody in the world, if the Patriots come on, they always mention you with the Patriots when it gets to that time. So I know <laughs> – because we got some friends yeah. that are in common, and they always say, like, yeah, Berkey's, like, pumped, or Berkey's going to the game, or whatever. Yeah. And I think it was Stitt sent me a, a picture of you, a video of you. I think oh, this boy. was... I, you, th- you know where I'm going with this, right? I don't know. It could be a, a variety of things. Okay. But. So the one I got was, I believe, when they came back, the, was it the 28-3 game when they came back? <laughs> and the, the video I had was, that I saw was of you running out into the snow, diving in the snow bank, <laughs> And doing like snow angels in the middle of the winter with shorts on. With shorts, oh yeah, you were like not dressed for the. I don't, you might have been barefoot for all I know. Yeah. Um. Was that that? Was that the, the that, Falcon game? That was the actually. That was the Seattle game. Oh. That oh when they pick when they uh, when Malcolm Butler yes picked oh, it off. Man, that was so emotional because we've. It's always one catch that sets us up for failure. Yeah. You yeah. Know, the Giants it, had two it of was them. the helmet yeah. catch from David Tyree or the Mario Manningham one down the sideline in the Giants game or the Plaxico Burris one in the back of the end zone. Yeah. So this one, if you don't remember, was the catch by, oh man, who was it? On their team for Seattle? A Seattle receiver. I can't remember who it was now. Down the sideline, um, Butler is the player who tipped the ball you know, it thought oh, it was a pass yes. deflection. Yes, I remember and that. Then and then the receiver falls down, laying on his yep. back, and it lands right on him, and it yep. ca- it catches them up for that huge play beforehand. You know, to get them way down, set up inside the five. Yeah. Um, and I think Lynch ran the ball, possibly on first down, and didn't really get anywhere. So that sets up the huge Russell Wilson. It was an interception, uh, though, right? Yes. The, it was a, like a one-yard yeah, interception? It was a pick play uh, that Seattle had run before, but, um, you know, not knowing this at the time, but the Pats had planned for it. So Malcolm Butler saw that particular play set up, and he knew they were going to try to pick, and he ran under the pick and jumped the route, made the interception. One of the greatest defensive plays in Super Bowl history. Yeah, I, I think... For me personally, it's one of the greatest plays in Super Bowl history. Um, But yeah, that's kind of, I think my daughter was was two at the time, sleeping upstairs. And I I had to, (laughs) I didn't want to wake her up. It was like, you know, 11 at night or something like that. And you know, you don't wake a sleeping baby. No, no, no. So that spawned me to run outside my front door with shorts on and a shirt on um, (laughs) down while it was snowing into the road and... uh, then land on my lawn making snow angels with shorts and uh, a t-shirt on. I saw, and so that that <laughs> as I say that proves everything right there. And I I, I the, well the thing you got to think most Super Bowls we've been lucky because there's with the exception of the Broncos and the Panthers that one year most of the Super Bowls have been very close for the most sure. part. And I think it might have been maybe it was the Patriots Eagle game. Were they the ones that played together in that game? The Pats Eagles that was yeah. Three years. What? Well, well, that might have been the game where the Patriots never really, they never really were in the, like they were always in the game, but it was always like a seven, ten point swing. It was mm-hmm. like they were down seven, but Eagles had the ball, so that was probably the farthest away. But we've had some really good Super Bowls over yeah. the last fifteen years, yeah. and like again, that being one, and then obviously the Falcon game was, I think, the greatest <laughs> one I've ever seen. Yeah, that was... I remember watching that at a bar in Albany. I was traveling for work, and I remember sitting there with some other people I knew, and. Like the problem was I couldn't hear the damn thing because it was in the bar. Oh, so you're wow, just watching yeah. it and you're like, "Holy crap, this is happening!" I had a great seat like at the bar, but like you couldn't. It, it was just like you. I wish I could have heard the announcers. You couldn't hear a thing. So, yeah. um, so what do you think about obviously Brady being gone? Which, um, I'm I'm sure that was done pretty amicable. Meaning, you know, I think Brady's to me a very classy guy for Absolutely. whatever he's doing. So I'm sure he went out the, the right way. Um, Cam Newton's now back. Um, what do you think the do you like that decision? Are you excited? Are you excited for the season going forward? With yes, it's a little different, but another, another story for you. So when the news broke the other night, um, I've just set the scene here. I'm sitting at my dining room table having dinner. I have my youngest daughter, who's almost two years old. She'll turn two in August. Sitting on my lap, she was eating her dinner, and the cell phone is kind of off to my right hand side, 
Um, and then boom, got a flash notification. Cam Newton agrees to a one year deal with the Patriots. And I just start like yelling, like raising my arms, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So you're and, pumped about that. Yes. Okay. I was, I was like yelling and my little daughter's sitting on my lap. She got so scared, but, um, but yeah, I, I'm really happy about the news. I've been hoping that we'll get him since March when uh, I heard that, you know, they were, the Panthers are allowed to seek a trade. I think that it's great for new England. I think it's great for Josh McDaniels because he's a great offensive mind. Um, I, and I so think, you, I so think, think it fits well within the system for them. I think they're going to change. I mean, they have to, I think mm-hmm. the NFL is trending now towards the Russian quarterback, Yeah, you know? Um, and I hope that we can kind of get to use him. He's a great goal line threat as well. Um, so I think we he's, can use him both, you know, in the option game, he's not going to be, you know, the, your typical pocket passer that we've had in new England for the last two, you know, 20 years. So my, my, my background with Cam Newton, I saw him, I've been to one training camp ever in my life, and it was a Carolina Panthers training camp. And the only reason we were down for my cousin's wedding, and they were like within an hour. So like, I have, me and my, my dad and my uncles and stuff went and watch, watched him. One, he's huge. He's he like probably 6'6". Six, six. My guess is he's probably easily 260, 270. Yeah, probably 260. Mm-hmm. And just the way he moved, like, and again, they weren't doing a full-on practice, but just the way he'd get the ball and run and do, like, kind of moves, he's very, like, nimble, I guess. Yeah. Like, And then the other thing is I always get him as a – every year I have him on my fantasy team, he's <laughs> terrible. Every year I don't have him, he's great. So yep. he's kind of one where he's all over the place. But, again, you go from – was it a rich uh, – or who was, the, who was the coach? Rivera? Yeah, Ron, Ron Rivera. Rivera was. Yeah, yep. so you take him and obviously going to Belichick's system, the – the way I look at it is every person they've ever added into the – most of the people they've added into the Patriots franchise, they've been able to mold them to the system, whether mm-hmm. it be Randy Moss, whether it be – you know, I think their only real big miss was um, – I guess not. Josh Gordon went, but he didn't really last too long. But he did yeah. okay when he was there. So they kind of take these people that – not to say Cam, Cam Newton, I don't think he's a bad dude. I think he's had like – he's kind of polarizing as a quarterback. But I think mm-hmm. you get him within the system, he'll be fine. So I'm curious to see how you take like – a name like Brady out who's been such a mainstay and then put someone in. I'm curious to see how this will add to Belichick's career, but you got to think how many, how many coaches does Belichick has taken that have now gone on and played against him and he's still very competitive or beats them. Yeah. Take like, take the Josh McDaniels. Like eventually I'm assuming he, was he ever a head coach? He did. He went to Denver. Yep. Then he, and he came he left back. and went to Denver and then came back to New yeah. England. Yeah. So, and I think some of those guys, it's like the pressure of an NFL head coach. You might as well work under Bill, who's obviously, you know, track record is yeah. the best ever, um, <laughs> which I think is cool. Like, it's not a bad deal to be the number two or three guy on, on the coaching staff if you have success because it's like, hey, listen, I can at least l- lean on probably the all time greatest head coach in history. Um, also, <laughs> the greatest thing about Belichick, he doesn't say anything. He's great. I love him yeah. in interviews. Like, yeah, yeah. how'd you guys play? We did okay. Like, yeah. like I just love. But did you see him when they were doing the draft? Like he was at like this like oh, yeah. parquet the, table, like <laughs> sitting with his dog. dog like, yeah. which like you look at, you think about Bill Belichick. I'm like, I wouldn't expect anything more or anything less no. of him. Like that's what I figured yeah. he'd be like in this old house, just kind of hanging out. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah, he's awesome. So he's, I, I'm, I, I would hope that he's gonna. He's what? He's gonna be seventy now. He's getting up there for sure. Which seems crazy, but I, he's got a, I would say a handful more years because mentally, I think he's sharp as ever. Yeah. So a lot of people thought that once Tom left, he was going to leave, but I think they both have something to prove now. You know, what's the odds that they meet in the, in the Super Bowl? I don't know. I don't think it's far off. Like, I don't think it's a crazy thing. Like we could be thinking like seven, seven months, eight months from now when we get to the Super Bowl, if you were to tell me they're playing in the Super Bowl, I wouldn't be surprised. And I would say that's going to probably go down as one of the greatest sporting events or at least hype up to a sporting event ever yeah, that would be amazing because um, brady's both, got a good lineup with him now i think both teams in in vegas lines are set at nine at the over under for wins so which is interesting which is both playoffs yeah. should be so yeah both interesting um let's see what happens there that would be because brady's got a good group of receivers where he's going brady has a phenomenal group of receivers so he's kinda, got yeah he's got mike evans chris godwin who are both all world receivers yeah. and then he's got Gronk at tight end and they have another good tight end in OJ Howard. They have Cameron Bray. What, what, um, what do you think about um, Gronk coming back? Cause he took a year off and honestly Gronk lost like eight, I don't know, 80, but lost a lot of weight. He like he's, he, he, he leaned out quite a bit. So I'm, I'm wondering how he's going to be able to a year out coming back. I mean, he was phenomenal, but he could come back later too and be way quicker. Yeah. I think guys at that level, he'll be able to put weight back on pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. I'm sure. 
but um yeah i think i think he's still going to be good i think the year off will probably help his body heal and he you know he i don't know that he's played a full season in quite some time how old is he early 30s probably i don't think he's much older than me yeah 31, I yeah he's yeah he's so, i mean he's still got a couple yeah, years more especially at that position and what's brady 42 now I believe so. 42 or 43. I think he said he wanted to play until he's 45, which honestly, I believe he can. Yeah. The guy takes 100%. care of himself more than anybody. So, 100%. Do you, uh, did you watch the golf event with him? I didn't, no. Do you, I, I kind of like saw some of the you, highlights. but Do you um, play golf at all? I play a little bit of ball golf, mostly disc golf. Yeah. But. yeah. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, yeah. So, um, so that, that was actually kind of funny because he was terrible in the first nine. And they obviously like hold a shot, which was great. If you ever watch the... Uh, the highlights of it. He was jawing with the announcers because they're like in his ear. And then he ends up dunking the ball from like, you know, which actually yeah. ended up being, I think, halved with Tagger. Meaning he had to hole it out. For, and then, you yeah. know, so it was kind of funny. But um, yeah, no, I, I like golf. But that was like, that was the most watched golf event on cable television ever. Which is wild. Which is crazy because like <laughs> two guys at NFL quarterbacks. So I'm kind of hoping they maybe do a Michael Jordan, like Steph Curry kind of thing because they're both, I think, pretty good golfers. I'd love to see MJ in that. That'd be fun. Now that he's kind of like got a spike of popularity back, how can we drop him back into, you know, into the sporting field somewhat? Where you know, I mean, I wouldn't. Buy, I mean, Jordan would be sitting there, probably betting pretty heftily on each hole, probably on the side. You probably don't even know <laughs> right, about yeah. it. He's got stuff with Tagger, but yeah. Um, so yeah, disc golf. Do you play a lot of that still? Yeah, yeah, I love it. It's it's fun, fun, fun sport, man. It's it's. Do you nice do it to, at Katyville? The most. Uh, part? Yeah, I play all over the place. Katyville, our local courses. We have Katyville. Um, there's one in Peru. There's one in Osable, and there's one at Plattsburgh State now. Do they keep them pretty well maintained? Yeah, for the most part. Yep. Because I played once at Katyville, which is which is fine. But there's some there's woods. I mean, it's not yeah, like you're yep. not just throwing it through a field. Like it's pretty uh pretty tight, and then. How do you normally throw it? Do you throw it like a frisbee? Or you kind of chuck it on the side, like kind of like a almost an underhand flick. It's, it's almost exactly like a real golf game. Each hole is going to dictate how what, you toss it. Yeah, how you throw. And then, so. uh, how many how many discs can you have at one time? Uh, I carry a bag of twenty. Really? Yep. A little backpack. <laughs> no shit. So do you yeah. use all twenty? Uh, depending on the course, yeah. Yep. And is there a, is there a rule about how many you can carry? No, I don't think so. Um, I didn't know if you like played in like a sanction, I guess sanction, everything's become like spike balls now become sanction. Yeah, I like, play in a league. Yep. So like, is there a maximum? Like you can only have 15 or 20 or 30. I don't know if there's a, there's a max. I'm so sure. Do certain ones. I'm assuming travel farther, spin less, curve less, you know, maybe based on the weight or whatever. Like, yep, exactly. You have drivers, mid range putters, just like, like real golf. Um, you know, certain discs will fly right to left. Certain discs will fly left to right. Certain. Things. So you have like a left to right, maybe 50 yards. How far can you throw it? hundred yards. I'm, I'm out at my best drive ever is like 400 and yards. No feet. Oh Jesus! Yeah. Okay, just a little over 100 <laughs> yeah. feet or 100 yeah. yards. Yep. Um, and what are most courses? Because I'm trying to remember what it like. I wasn't. I mean, if I threw it out good, it would go pretty far. Obviously, you, th- you miss it by like a couple inches. The wind or the you know you get taken. Yep. All of a sudden, you're offline. Katyville, I think, maxes out at around. They have. I think they might have a couple 400 or 500 foot holes, um, but most of them are kind of shorter and technical, like under 300. So you, instead of like throwing out the like whatever, maybe 100 foot throw you just kind of work your way down like you normally yeah there's you know more trees and more obstacles and those kind of things so how what's the farthest out you've ever hold a shot um that's a good question i think 268 was my best ace hole in one 268 wow okay about that and that's obviously (laughs) there's a little bit of like same thing as in golf it's a little bit of luck yeah throw it in the area it's like oh i got it could have easily went i've i only have two lifetime aces but so when you and again, with like disc golf, so people have never played. It's basically, it's an elevated chain basket, right? Yep. Are they all the same? Most uh, of them. There's different brands, just like anything else. But they're but all they kind of like serve a chain. the same purpose. Yep. There's a there's like a couple rows of chains to stop the momentum of the disc, and then it falls into a basket. So it has to fall in the basket to count. Yes. So if you hit the chain, hits, pops out. It's like a lip putt. Yep. Exactly. Gotcha. So then, <laughs> could you? I mean, I'm sure there's times you just grab it and just drop it because you're so close. So close, yep. Okay. So that's your goal. <laughs> yeah. So, I, again, I played one time. This was maybe 10 years ago. It was fun. I just, again, I've never had, never t- taken the time to do it. But is there 18 holes? 
Yep, eighteen holes, uh, most courses. Yep, um, it's it's just nice. It's you know you get a little bit of exercise aspect. Mm-hmm. You know you can walk through the woods. So a lot of courses have elevation. It's um, also just a mental break. Yeah, yeah. It's just you know a time where you can go out and it's a great sport where you can kind of compete against yourself, compete against the course. Um, if you want to take it to the next level, you can join a league, you know, where you compete against other people. Do you go solo a lot? Just go out and play by yourself? Yeah, I like it. Yeah. Um, just like put like some headphones in and just listen to music. Exactly. Or yep. Um, did, now, have you ever lost a disc? Oh yeah. I'm sure you can lose quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. Some courses will have ponds and, and things like that. Nature, oh really? So you can lose them in, in water. So you can just see them floating? You can lose them in trees everywhere because, I mean, some courses are not as maintained if you get off into the rough and you just, you know, you're yeah. throwing 300 feet down down the hole. It's just hard to locate sometimes. <laughs> yeah, especially in the top. Yeah, because I mean, it's, I guess it's very similar to golf. Yeah. I, I should yeah. I should play it because now how long does it take to play 18 holes roughly? A couple hours? Um, You can... We played. We played last night with three people on a card, and we were we played eighteen in like an hour and a half. Yeah, see, that's that's kind of the cool thing. You can go out fast yep. and play it. I should because the Katyville got one for my house is like five ten minutes on the road yep. with that. So I probably should get a. I'm probably get them like a starter kit somewhere. Yeah, get like definitely. The basic like what ten ten discs maybe or. I think the little starter kits come with three: a putter, a mid, and a driver. Oh, that's it. And yep. then obviously, as you yep as you I get, get more to know, advanced, yeah, as you get to know your game a little better, you can kind of tailor make your discs to your. To your strengths that's pretty cool yeah no i think that i think that's neat i uh I, I like doing as you get older too you kind of find these like little little things to keep busy i mean yep. as i'm sure as you were a kid um different just games you made up oh yeah like that would just like whether it's backyard baseball or like oh I, man we, we used to play like street hockey we used to play we used to play backyard golf which don't ask me how my friend's dad let us play i hit the house once but it was like the <laughs> bottom because i wasn't um i was actually he's a good runner too right a uh, jeremy jason Jason, oh Jason, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of runners d- down here when it gets nice out, which is cool to see people active. But um, yeah, no, that kind of stuff is is fun. Yeah. So, um, Verk, anything else you want to mention? Talk about anything? Like I said, I just kind of go down. You just, we just kind of you know run the gamut of different stuff. So no, man, this was definitely a fun time. For first podcast, do you listen to podcasts? I do fantasy football ones. Really? That's yep. it. You're just straight up fantasy <laughs> football. How many leagues you play in fantasy football? Ah oh, man! Right now, before the season starts, I'm already in five. Is that um, is it easy to maintain for you? For me, it is. Yeah, these the five I have right now are all on the ESPN platform. So those okay. are just you know click and you can just go to each one. Um, I'm more involved right this time of the year in like dynasty ones. So I like dynasty ones better. So, I've never been in one. Yeah, before. they're they're fun. You know, thirty man rosters and you're keeping all your players every year. So it gives you kind of more like that NFL GM feel. And then you're just drafting rookies as they come in. So it's kind of like, are you in leagues? Cause this is what I find like a fun league would be is like, you can drop players and people can pick up players, but aren't there certain leagues where you have to pay to draft a player? Like yep. you put money in like whatever it is, the pool. Yeah. Some people do paid waivers, but most of the time um, you're not paid waivers, but some people you get like an imaginary budget mm-hmm. uh, called a fab budget. Or some call it FAB, F-A-A-B, um, free agent acquisition budget. So oh, you'll get like, okay. yeah, you'll get like an imaginary hundred dollars to spend uh, during the season on acquiring players. Um, so, so there's times that guys each season you can drop whoever you want, right? Sure, sure. And then, yeah. and technically, obviously, if you like, if you have Tom Brady, you, Tom Brady just becomes now. I mean, it's not because he switches teams; you switch him. You get to just keep the player wherever he goes. Yeah, in a dynasty setting, then yeah, you get the player regardless. You keep um, him forever. Do you have Brady on your team? I don't. Okay. You've been working on that one, right? <laughs> Waiting for someone to drop yeah. him. Um, yeah, so the fantasy, I think I was on two last year, but they're on different platforms. So it's, but we never do Dynasty. Gina does like a little makeshift one, which yep. is, you know, I, I try to pay attention to it. I, I change sure. my, I always change my lineup. So I'm not one of the guys that never touches this stuff. Yeah, but yeah. Um, so are you one of those guys on Sundays that just will sit there for the day and just check your rosters? Sunday is an intense day. Kick the feet up and it's, it's, uh, it's one one the main tv has has what you know if if the the patriots are on then the patriots are on the main tv if the patriots aren't on then nfl red zone is on so that you can see every scoring play from every game if the pats are on then 
the pats are on the main tv with a laptop that has red zone on next to you and the other laptop has all of your fantasy rosters and all of the daily fantasy stuff so you're like, like it's like mission control center yes like yeah. dfs stuff so you're following DraftKings, you're following FanDuel, and then you're trying to follow along you know up to like 10 season-long fantasy games all while watching the games all at once very so, serious then so pretty much anybody that scores it means something somewhere so are you hoping football starts up for the fall <laughs> yes okay i didn't yes. know if this would be like this would be a yes. mental break for you one no year to, no i cannot wait you're like for football. so yes. you, you follow football all season long then, Absolutely, so you're checking yes. the rosters and like free agency and right now any anything that pops any day of the week yeah and, and it's just primarily patriots like you're not you dabble in the no, whole league everything yeah all okay. the league yep i follow everybody you have to almost because you yeah know, if you're if, in that many if you're in in so many fantasy leagues then you got to know everything. The, you got to yeah. know every skill position for every player. Like yep. Yeah. Yep. So. Cool. All right. Well, great. We'll, we'll, we'll leave it there. Um, Verky's got to go do some, uh, some homework on some football. He's going to yeah. catch up on the last hour of, of acquisition. So yep. I appreciate you coming on. Um, you know, pay I guess pay attention to your, your squad, hopefully coming up next, next uh, year from now. You get a little yeah. break now. Absolutely. So um, Chris, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me, buddy. Um, I'd say go Giants, but I don't want to offend you. So it's okay. We can say go Pats. They can win the <laughs> AFC. We'll be good. All right. That's episode, what are we, 74 of the Galen Trombley Show. Thanks for listening to the Galen Trombley Show. If you want to reach me, you can go on Facebook at Galen Trombley, on Instagram at Galen Trombley, and on YouTube at Galen Trombley. The spelling, G-A-E-L-A-N-T-R-O-M-B-L-E-Y.